funny to talk about team because it's, it, it, it is important. Team building, making people feel welcome, making people know that they're, they're, they're respected, let them know they're doing a good job. It's all part of it. People don't see that, do they? Only the people within the company know. I always felt my, st my staff were behind me 100%. Mm -hmm. They knew I, how I felt about it. They knew how I appreciated it. I also gave them responsibilities as well. This is The Summit by Fearless Adventures. I'm Dominic McGregor, and every week I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Welcome to The Summit podcast. I'm joined today by Martin Edwards, previous chairman of Manchester United Football Club. Um, and the one of the leading forces in the breakaway of the Premier League in 1992. And thank you for coming on today. Um, looking forward to chatting to you about your experience, how you, you got to the top of what you did, stayed at the top for so long, and also pioneered something which, in my opinion, changed not just the footballing world, but the entire, the entire world, really. Yeah, well, let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think let's, let's start with the kind of early stage for you, you know, where a company which looks at helping people on a journey and that journey goes pretty quickly on a, on a, to the, the top of an entrepreneur life. You had a kind of similar experience in kind of getting thrown in the deep end a little bit with, with what, what you did. I mean, yeah. I, I was in a family business, which was the meat trade. And um, I was managing director of sort of half the business and my father was joint chairman with my uncle. Um, so I had experience in business. And my father was chairman before me. He, he joined the board of Manchester United the day after the... Uh, Munich air crash uh, in 1958 and then became chairman in 65 and was chairman for 15 years. I went on the board in 1970 so I had 10 years experience as a director before actually taking over from my father in 1980 and I'd also had the experience of being managing director of the retail side of the, the meat business before that so I, I was fairly confident in business um, but obviously it was a, it was a, a new venture uh, and, and it was quite a responsibility at the age of 34. And how did you find those skills transfer from um, managing a meat company to managing well, a football club? I mean, management's diff different. It's different because, I mean, one thing, you're selling meat and you've got retail outlets and all the rest of it. The other, the other side of it, you're running a, a football club. Um, and in those days, when I first took over, there wasn't the real the business side of it that there is today. I mean, we, there was no shirt sponsors. You had the odd match game sponsor. Um, what should you say? Merchandise sales were very, very small, um, if at all. So, you know, in 1980, when I took over, uh, I think the turnover of Manchester United was something like £1 million. Wow. Pounds. You know, whereas you look at it today... That's predominantly just gate receipts. Just gate receipts. Television income in those days was £25,000. Every club got exactly the same. £25,000. £25,000, yeah. Every club got the same. All 92 of the football league clubs got £25,000 shared equally. So was the meat business doing more revenue than Man United? Our company was basically £20 million, of which I was responsible for half of it, say £10 million. Yeah. So I had a £10 million turnover with probably 200 outlets, yeah. retail outlets. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Manchester United's job was... Was one-tenth yeah. in terms of turnover, one-tenth yeah. of the, uh, the meat business. But, of course, in terms of exposure... 100 times more, you know what I mean? So it was totally different. God, so that's crazy. So 1980, you know, football is everywhere and, you know, you've got Liverpool, the great Liverpool team of the 80s and you're, it was taking responsibility for one of the biggest clubs in the, the UK. And then 
when did the idea for the, the Premier League happen and how did it happen? The, the idea for the Premier League was first mooted in about 1983. And it basically started with probably Irving Scholar of Tottenham, David Dean of Arsenal and myself. We were all very similar age. We were all in our 30s or mid, mid to late 30s. And uh, we realised that under the auspices of the old Football League, we were never going to be able to compete with the Real Madrid's and Barcelona's and Bayern Munich's of this, this world because everything was shared out pretty equally. Mm -hmm. um, so we realised that change had to take place. But you know, when you think from 1983 to 92, when we finally did break away and set up the Premier League, it was nine years. Mm -hmm. And we had one attempt at it before, and we sort of, it was called a 10-point plan. And we took more income, but not all of it, and it was still shared out amongst the divisions. But the first division then took more money, took more money from sponsorship, more money from television. Uh, so we started to carve up a little bit of the spoils, but obviously not, not all, not like the 20 clubs breaking away. And that worked for a little while, but eventually by 92, uh, we realised that it wasn't, it wasn't going to hold together really. You know, we needed to, we needed to be autonomous mm -hmm. and we needed to be making our own decisions rather than 92 clubs making the decision. Yeah. Uh, we needed to keep more of the, the major income to be able to compete with the best clubs in, in Europe. The five clubs got an offer. The five clubs that eventually broke away or, or, or organised the breakaway got an offer from ITV. Yep. Excluding all the other clubs, we knew we could never do that because five you, you can't. Yes, you can't. You can't form a league with five clubs. Yeah. So we realised we had to bring others on board. So we started. We went from five to ten, and then eventually, further down the line, we invited the other ten to join on the basis whoever was in the first division of the old football league then went to the Premier League on the breakaway. But it also meant that those clubs going down, the clubs coming up benefited the clubs going down didn't they were outside the league mm. but all the clubs went for it on the basis they didn't want to be left yeah. behind once you get to 10 or 11 clubs you've got the majority so that might that may have meant, meant play each other four times a year rather than twice but at least you know you've got a league the perfect scenario was all to break away together which is exactly what we did so you sat there you know the late 80s when did you know that it was going to happen? When was the kind of gut in yourself that, you know, you're on to it? Well, the five, the five of us, and that was Arsenal, Tottenham, Everton, Liverpool, and ourselves, Manchester United, the five of us all got to get together and said, how can we make it happen? We'd had this offer from ITV. We knew we couldn't take it all ourselves. But, and, and as soon as we started to say, right, we've got to invite the others in, but who, who, to make sure that it doesn't break up along the way, we invite clubs that we know will go for it, you know, like-minded. Who's the first one? Well, I think even West Ham were, in, were one, of the, one, one of the ten at the time. And was it a case of, you know, the, 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 the five founding clubs, the first five, you say to each other, you go and speak to one club each? Or was it a kind of joint approach? How did no, you... no, I think, I think we, we decided how we were going to approach it. I think we did pick them off one, one, at, yeah. a t one at a time, said, do you want to be part of it and all the rest of it. And we, there was no obstruction at all. They all, they all went for it. But I think the thing was that the five, the five of us, we knew that the right thing to do was to still keep promotion and relegation. So even though you might have been in the Premier League and you were taking your own income and, and, and doing all the deals yourself, we still wanted that, that promotion and relegation, that a team could come from nothing mm -hmm. and get into the, into the Premier League. Mm -hmm. 
So that's when then you start saying, well, how do we look after the clubs that go down? Because suddenly the Premier League income was so much higher than, say, the first, the next, the first division, the Football League. That's when we introduced the, the, the payments for those clubs going down. We tried to be fair about, about the whole thing, really. We were all football nuts. All yeah. five of us. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't a question of how much money could we make out of that. That was obviously important. Competing against the best in Europe was important, but our own autonomy was equally as important. And also, we wanted to be fair and keep promotion and relegation, so that if you were good enough, you could still rise to it. You could still yeah. get it. Was that ever a discussion no, point? No, that every, was always... no, that was always part part of it. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting part also was then the distribution of the, 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 the monies. Then TV was always going to be the biggest money because from the old £25,000 each, suddenly we had a lot of money being offered on the table. Because the deal with Sky Millions. was, was well, 92. Well, Sky, yeah, Sky came in at the start of the Premier League. Yep. ITV had been uh, £5 million before that. Um, but when Sky came in, of the five clubs, the five breakaway clubs, the, 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 the original five... Four of us supported ITV against Sky because of the loyalty we felt to them because they'd broken the cartel between BBC and ITV. Mm-hmm. So we felt that we should stick with ITV. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Sky was new, we weren't sure whether it would last, whether it would break up. We'd have all lost out anyway. The income wouldn't have been valid anyway. So we went with ITV. And the, but the one person who didn't, Alan Sugar had taken over from Irving Scholar, Mm-hmm. And of course, he was selling the dishes, his, uh, uh, all the rest of it. So he went against the ITV and voted for Sky. And that's why Sky got the contract rather than ITV. And that was in 92, the first year of the Premier League. So we're in the situation now where have been chairman for 12 years. The foundations of the Premier League are laid. Relatively successful club, you know, but not up there in the English Premier League. I think the important thing for us was the... We floated Manchester United mm-hmm. in 91. I, 91 was in it? In 91, yeah. The thing was, uh, you know, I, I had the majority of the shares, but I could, and I was strongly in debt uh, to the banks. Mm-hmm. My house was in, in the bank, owned my house and all the rest of it, security and all the rest of it. At some stage, I had to become liquid. And I'd had various offers along the way from Maxwell and Knighton and all the rest of it. And eventually we decided that the, the simplest thing to do was rather than sell it to an individual mm. was a flotation. And also that would allow the existing shareholders, or, or existing shareholders plus new shareholders to buy shares and own part of Manchester United. Mm-hmm. So we allocated quite a big distribution of those shares for supporters. Mm-hmm. But they didn't take up they didn't take them all up. And but we had backup from institutions mm-hmm. who were keen to buy the shares because they liked the story and they could see that it was going to be a valuable asset. The institutions, we, we granted so many shares to institutions, but they took up the slack yep. of the shareholders who didn't buy in. And what was the listing value in Well, I think, we, I think, yeah, when we floated in 91, I think the value of Manchester was 46 million. We floated at 46 million, yeah. When I took over in 1980, Manchester was valued at 2 million. When I stepped down as chairman in, in, in oh, sorry, as chief exec, because I was chairman and chief exec, I had the joint role, in 2000, we'd gone over a billion. So we'd gone from two billion to a billion. The Premier League coincided with Manchester United becoming successful as well. And we were able to take advantage of that because yep. of the sky, the way Sky promoted football all over the world. And, and we, 
I brought in a guy called Edward Friedman to do the merchandising. And he was brilliant, excellent. Getting deals for sponsorship. He was good at own branding. He started a magazine. And the merchandising suddenly took off, became quite a big part of the, the business. Mm-hmm. But always the main uh, part or the main profit was always through television when Sky became involved. Other competitors came in, Sky always outbid. Yep. It, it was vital to their growth and success that they had that, they had that, foot, that Premier League contract. So 25,000 was the first yeah. television deal yeah. when you were in charge. What yeah. was it in 2000? Well, I think the first contract with Sky was probably worth about 300 million. Per year? Per year, yeah. And now, of course, it's from television to get five billion. If you take yeah. the overseas, the overseas wasn't worth a lot of money when the Premier League first started. And it was only through Sky promoting the game mm-hmm. that the overseas became valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think now the overseas is as valuable as the domestic. Well, if not more, it, because it, you've got it, more territories. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's unbelievable. The, the, the coverage that the Premier League gets worldwide is, 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 wow. is the biggest, best supported league well, in the world. How much is that down to someone like yourself? Pushing the brand, because Man United's brand is, is everywhere. Well, it, it's first of all, the five of us breaking away, mm-hmm. bringing the others with us, mm-hmm. which then set up our own autonomy. Yep. We then could do our own deals, yep. which we did. And it coincided with Sky being the first television contract we had, and the effort that they put into it, the number of games. Mm-hmm. Everybody was fearful at the time mm-hmm. that the more games we gave away, it was going to affect attendances. And in fact, what it did, it actually increased attendances because people saw the game on television, they liked the product, so more people actually went to games. So it actually had the reverse effect mm. that everybody feared at the time. Yeah. So I think where we succeeded, where we were successful at that time, was that we, we did capitalise on our success because obviously Alec Ferguson was a big part of it, the team winning and all the rest of it. The way we supported that in terms of purchases and all the rest of it the way we expanded the stadium, I think when I left, it was 67,000 was the capacity. Um, it's now gone to 76. But we were taking a lot of money, at the, more money than anybody else, through the gate, through our, uh, our boxes, uh, executive seats, window tables and things like that. We were very innovative mm-hmm. and we were like the first to put boxes in. We were taking advantage of the team's success, both in terms of the stadium growth, the museum, Mm-hmm. The, the restaurants within the stadium, the boxes, the execs and all the rest of it. We fully took advantage of that. But we also took advantage of the commercial side, the merchandising, by on the back of the success of Sky, by promoting the magazine and the videos and the shirts. And then we started doing deals with Nike. And suddenly the whole thing expanded. Now they're all doing it. But at first, I think we were probably the pioneers yep. that set it all up. And that set us apart from everybody else. Mm-hmm. We, we were getting the biggest crowds, earning the most income from the, the, the ground and the attendances. But also on the commercial side, we were way ahead at the time. So essentially, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur in new territory, you know, this is a new world. You know, after 92, the game changed. What, what guided you? Just the sheer joy of, 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 of expanding the club, the sheer of being involved in, in, in something new, like setting up the Premier League. Uh, our big challenge, and no, I make no secret of it, was to overtake Liverpool in terms of, of, of winning things. Because, I mean, if you take it before Manchester United became successful, about 1990 was, was our first trophy under Alec Ferguson. Before that, Liverpool had it all their own way. They were winning leagues year after year. 
But I think, and, and uh, all credit to them, but I don't think they really, and maybe it was the area or the spend that people had, I don't think they really took advantage of the success of the team like we did in terms of expanding the stadium, putting more executive seats in, more boxes in, and, 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 and on the commercial side, mm-hmm. making more of it. But do you think that's because the Premier League wasn't around when their success I think was? Also, yes. Yeah. Partly, yes. Yes. The, the, the success of Liverpool didn't line up with the correct the, uh, the freedom commercially to. Quite right. Our timing was couldn't have been better in terms of, 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 of we started to become successful when the Premier League started. Yeah. And you know we won the first Premier League. We won the second Premier League. We won four of the first five. So we were off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were geared up for it as well. Yeah. We were geared up for it. Yeah. 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 And you know we we talk about the experience at Man United, how much in terms of um, leadership is important in that journey from yourself well, and from the, you know, Sir Alex as well from the club perspective? I think it's very, very important. I think, I think there's two aspects to it. I mean, football supporters are interested in the football side. They don't really look too much into what goes on in the background and all the rest of it. I think you know, we, we benefited because we had a very good management mm-hmm. and also we had a very good manager. Mm-hmm. So we were winning on the field and we were taking full advantage of it Mm-hmm. Administratively, mm-hmm. so, but the two are both important. Do you think that comes very important? Do you think that was a lot because of you know you you and Sir Alex similar age, similar vision, similar yeah. You, you're in this together. Both, both had that ambition. The main thing was we need to be, start winning leagues. We need to start winning trophies. Mm-hmm. And we started with the FA Cup in '90, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup in '91, the League Cup in '92, and in '93 when we finally won the league. It was 26 years since Manchester United had won one the league, and which is incredible, really, length of time. Uh, and, of course, the following year, we then did the double. Then two years later, we did the double again. Three years later, we did the treble. So it, it, was, it was planned. And when you say to me what, what got me out of bed was exactly that. You know, wanting to make Manchester United the best, wanting to make Manchester United head of Liverpool from a playing point of view, and probably the best from the term of, of capitalising on the success of the team, merchandise-wise and everything else. Over the 20-year journey, yeah. which was more important when it came to the footballing side of things and the financial side? It's a good question, and I think I'd have to answer that. They're equally important, because I don't think you can get football success on the field unless you are successful financially. The game has changed today. You've got wealthy individuals coming in, putting a lot of money in on day one, and it makes it easy for, for the planning, because you've got the money, you know you can go out and buy the best players, and you almost know that not many clubs can compete with you. In my day, it was diff- different because when I took over in 1980, we weren't the most successful club. Hmm. It took us 10 years to be successful, really. On the pitch. On the pitch. As I say, we were successful uh, commercially as well. And it was that commercial success that allowed us to go out and buy the better players. Mm-hmm. And I always remember, in, in you know, once you start winning the league and you start earning the money, I had three strands I had to satisfy. One was the shareholders. Mm-hmm. Secondly was the stadium expansion. And thirdly was the team. Mm-hmm. So you have to give, it's the balancing act, and you have to get that right. If you're not earning the income, you can't afford the best players. But if you are earning the income, you can afford the best players. You've then got to be select, make sure that you've got the right manager in place, and he's by the players at the right price because I hadn't got the backup of a, a wealthy nation or wealthy individual behind who could bail us out if you got it wrong. 
So you've got to get it right. So you can't overspend. <laughs> you've still got to make the profit to satisfy those three strands. And that is the difficulty. So I took pride in, in, in the fact that we made a profit every single year. And it went from sort of 5 million in 91, I think to 46 million in 2003. <laughs> so we were earning you know, money every year, but we were still buying the best players. And I remember in 98, we won nothing. <laughs> and we went out and we bought Stam, Dwight York and Blomquist. And with that, we, we did the treble. But we'd invested the money that we'd earned over the years into improving, improving the team. So it's a question of getting it, the balance right. Mm-hmm. And do you think that stems from kind of your experience back in the day? Well, um, having that foundation of, you know, we do need to make profit. We, the business has to be self-sustainable. Well, when I took over at United, they, did, they, they, did, they didn't do a budget. No budget? No. And, and I remember sitting down. In the, with, on 1980? Yeah, yeah. No we, budget. No, no finance director, no budget, nothing. I remember sitting down with the assistant secretary at the time in the early years and saying, right, let's plan it. All we put in the budget was, was, was what, the third round of the FA Cup, uh, the, fir- the first round of the League Cup, and if we were in Europe, we, we got the first round. To take the worst situation first mm-hmm. and then uh, build on the, the turnover and everything else. And that's how we, 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 we built it as a, as, as a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, that translates to entrepreneurs these days what advice would you give someone out who's starting on their, their journey as an entrepreneur in football or, or in any business in any business in, just in, in any business yeah i think the first thing you've got to do you've got to be, you've got to enjoy what you're doing it's all about desire it's all about hunger it's all about what you want to achieve do, are you going to put in the extra hour you know i always remember i'd said to alan sugar a few years before if ever you want to sell sheringham will you let me know and Eric Cantona walked out in 97, retired, and Alan Sugar rang me up. And I was in the office about 6, 6.30, whatever, and Alan Sugar rang me and said, I'm selling Sheringham, do you want to take him and all the rest of it? If I hadn't been there then, you wonder whether mm-hmm. it, it, we'd have got him. It's little things like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's being available, being around. Some people are lucky in business, but a lot of people get there because of hard graft, hard work mm-hmm. and desire. Life's peaks, peaks and troughs. What was the, the bottom? When did you feel the worst? Uh, the bottom was probably early, early on when Ron Atkinson came in as manager and we'd invested on, on, on one or two players at the time. And I could always remember we went out to the FA Cup very early on and we lost the first round of the UEFA Cup. And I just remember thinking, oh, blimey, you know what I mean? We gambled a bit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On, 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 but Robson and Remy Moses and all the rest of it. We, we spent a lot of money on trying to achieve that success and, 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 and it, didn't, it didn't happen immediately. Mm-hmm. So the early years were a bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you look at United's balance sheet over those years, profit one year, loss, profit one year, loss. You know, and it was a bit up and down. So we're probably over those 10 years, maybe just on the right side, but, mm-hmm. but only just. Mm-hmm. Once we won that FA Cup in 90, and then on the back of that, the cup was covered in 91, and we floated in 91, and we got the money from the float for the, the shareholders put in to build the Stratford End, mm-hmm. which was, you know, how would we have built the Stratford End without the money? Um, so once we did that, and it started to expand the stadium and got success on the field, it then began to grow. And at that point in 91, did you know what was coming through the academy? Yes, oh yeah. Yeah, because if you, you talk about the class of 92. Yeah. 
So they were all sort of 16 at the time. Yeah. So, so in 92, there were 17 or so. So we knew about the Nevilles. But, it was, but we, we knew we had a few few gems there, yeah. yeah. But it, but even then, it's a long... It's still, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, there's no certainties, are there? No, no. No, no. no certainties at all. Well, you know what, yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. still... Yeah. Still, sixteen-year-old kids yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, but you kind of, you know, you knew that the the float came, the stadium was being expanded, and you had yeah. something special going on. One of the best things I think that probably we did was um, sticking with Alec Ferguson, because Alec Ferguson, when he came in eighty-six November eighty-six, it wasn't an immediate success. Yep, he he didn't win a trophy till ninety, which so would never happen these days. Four years, yeah, four years to win a trophy. We knew how hard he was working behind the scenes. Going to all the reserve games, going to youth cup games, all the rest of it. You know, looking at the scouting, we knew how hard he was working, and we still had faith. Supporters, had, most of the supporters, had lost faith, but they didn't know what was happening behind the scenes. They wanted him out in ninety. He'd had a vote of the supporters. He'd have been, he'd have been gone, but we stuck with him. But also that success in ninety enabled us to stick with him. Yep. If we hadn't been successful then, how long more could we have held on? Yep. And it was, it, was a, it was a very fine margin. People talk about the Nottingham Forest game, all the rest of it. If, if we didn't win that, he was out. I'd actually told him in midweek, I said, Alec, forget all that nonsense. You're not out on, on, on that. Mm-hmm. But underneath, I was worried that the supporters eventually would win the day because they'd stop coming because we weren't successful and all yep. the rest of it. Then you have to make a change. Yep. But we didn't. We, he- we held our nerve. Mm-hmm. And holding our nerve then... We just still didn't win the league till '93. It's it it in his seventh or eighth year when we won the league. Would that happen today? No. I'm not sure it would. No. I'm not sure it would happen. It's, te- it's testimony to what you can actually happen to do if yeah. you believe in someone. Correct. And you, you back them. Correct. So that was one of the big things I take pride in: yeah. is not panicking, not not getting rid of him, giving him the chance, mm-hmm. and look at the success he brought. And working with him, you know, yeah. like you say, in those situations, it's very easy to create barriers yeah. and not have that kind of open relationship but by the sounds of things you backed him yeah. personally with the club and shared a vision where he was then allowed to achieve what he went on to do exactly exactly. and that's a great advice for anyone is in, yeah. in any team is yeah. anyone who's running a team yeah. is that you know yeah. you've got to have the, the best of people to, to talk about team because it, it, it is important team building Making people feel welcome, making people know that they're, they're, they're respected, let them know they're doing a good job. It's all part of it. People don't see that, do they? Only the people within the company know. But I do think it's important. And I think the one thing I would always say, take pride is, I always felt my, st- my staff were behind me 100%. Mm-hmm. They knew I, how I felt about it. They knew how I appreciated it. I also gave them responsibilities as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They didn't have to come to me with every major uh, decision but basically I gave them the head to manage their own departments or whatever Mm -hmm. and I think that's also important when you talked before about management what advice would you give yeah I wasn't a control freak I've never been a control freak but I do like to think that I encouraged people Mm -hmm. I gave them the head and at the end of the day how do you judge it you only judge it on the success which you can't see in short circles, no. it's in long term. And, and, and the United success is, is, two, is two ways. It's not just on the field, it's the financial side mm-hmm. as well. And you asked me the question before, equally important. And did you ever feel you, re- you reached the top well, as an as a individual as well? Well, all I would say that in, 19, in 2000, when I stepped down as chief exec, 
I stayed on three more years as, as uh, non-exec chairman of the football club. But in 2000, when I stepped down, Manchester United was voted the number one sporting franchise in the world. Mm-hmm. And that includes all the American NFL, basketball, all the leagues. And it was also voted the number one football club in the world in terms of play. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd won the European Cup. Well, the year trouble, before, yeah. And we won the, well, we did, actually, people say the trouble. We did the quadruple that year, really. Because yeah. we won the World Club Championship, yep. or what it, what it was called then, it was, it was a different name, but we beat Palmeiras. So we actually won, we were league winners, FA Cup winners, European Cup winners, and World Cup winners. Mm-hmm. That was in 99, so yeah. I stepped down in 2000. So when you say, did I feel as oh, the top, I don't think I could have gone out <laughs> as, as, as chief executive at a time. And I had, I had Peter Kenyon, who I bought in three years earlier, mm-hmm. to run the merchandising side of it. And he came in as deputy chief exec. And I sort of said to him, I sort of made a promise to him then, which uh, I said, well, look, you know, when I'm 55, I'll step down and you can take over. Uh, and of course, I had David Gill, who was finance director. So when I stepped aside, I made Peter Kenyon chief exec, David Gill deputy chief, chief exec. Mm-hmm. Peter, three years later, left to go to Chelsea mm-hmm. and David took over. So the succession was planned. Yep. So it continued. And I've got to say, to be fair, David's time, David kept it going. He did, yeah. He kept yeah. it going, you know, yeah. for 10 years. Yeah, on and off the pitch. He, he, he did 10 years, and it was almost seamless, mm-hmm. the way that it, it, it continued. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, you can find your personal summit off the back of this, and we're just going to help share stories of amazing people who've done amazing things in their lifetime. 